Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Therapeutics Thursdays. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members to sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. If you are an ASHP member, you will also have the opportunity to earn continuing education for listening to this episode. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast for more information. My name is Tanya Yuritsky. I'm the Opioid Stewardship Coordinator at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm happy today to introduce you to my esteemed guest and colleague, Nikki I, who is a pain clinical pharmacist at Avera McKinnon Hospital, and who will be talking to us today about intrathecal pumps for pain management. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Nikki. I'm very excited to talk to you about this today because this comes up a lot. Well, not a lot, but when it comes up, it can be very challenging. Um, and I work in a you know very large health system, and we recently put in place some um, processes around identifying patients who may have intrathecal pumps. But you know, even that had was a big lift because it comes up again so infrequently. Um, but it sounds like it may come up more and more as we've been, you know, trying to navigate the opioid crisis and thinking about alternative ways to manage pain. So you are an expert in intrathecal targeted drug delivery. So I am curious if you can just help me. What is intrathecal targeted drug delivery or ITDD? Awesome. Well, thanks, Tanya. You bring up some very valid points. Here at our institution, uh, the same scenarios were happening where we were starting to hear more and more, more and more about uh, intrathecal targeted drug delivery and what it really truly meant. And when these patients would come into our institution, nobody would have any clue of what was going on or how to manage the patient. So in that respect, I don't think I, as a pharmacist in general, had learned much about it when I was going through pharmacy school and as I had started my first parts of practice. The last 11 years being in pain management, I've spent the last six working with intrathecal targeted drug delivery. It is an amazing opportunity for folks that meet criteria. And what it is, is it's actually just a device that describes a mode of delivery of medication into the intrathecal space. Uh, There are a couple different types of intrathecal pain pumps that are on the market today. And one of them uses a peristaltic technology and the other uses a voltage gated channel technology. You know, both have their caveats, but they are both lithium titanium ion batteries that last anywhere from seven to 10 years. And they are designed for patients to be able to have pain or other antispasmodic medications delivered in a fashion that we typically tend to not see the typical side effects that you would with systemic opioids. Okay. So you make me think about something else. How is intrathecal different from maybe something like epidural? Like what do I need to know? And what should everybody else need to know? Why is that make it so like crazy special? Great question. Um, Obviously there are different spaces within the spinal cord and the spinal column Uh, beans, the difference between epidural and intrathecal is basically where we place the catheter. In the epidural space, that's what you would see mostly for um, maybe short-term management of 
say any uh, woman having a uh, labor epidural, you'd have somebody with rib fractures that's admitted into the hospital and we need just a short course of uh, better targeted pain management, we could use epidural um, catheters at that point. Intrathecal though is more for a long-term targeted drug delivery. When we're utilizing the catheter within the intrathecal space, it is actually within the CSF and the medication is being delivered directly to the mu opioid receptors that sit on the dorsal horn of the spinal cord. We think that intrathecal targeted delivery using the catheter in the intrathecal space has shown less of an issue with long-term infections, having to do dressing changes, all those complications that can occur um, when we utilize these particular devices that are uh, implanted surgically. Okay, very interesting. I don't want to get ahead of myself and <laughs> additional things I want to hear about, but I imagine the dose would be significantly lower than what I'd give somebody in some of those other routes that we typically give opioids. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then my final question related to what is this thing that you're talking about is, can I, can I like tell that this person is on this? How, like, can I see this pump? How do you typically, how is this happening for a patient? Like what, what do you do with that pump? Another also great question that I think a lot of pe people lose sight of this particular device is implanted just under the skin and tissue of a patient. Depending on the patient's body habitus, it would determine whether or not you see the pump. When I say see, I, lose, I use that loosely. Obviously, you can't see the actual device because it's underneath the skin implanted. But yes, there becomes a cosmetic piece of it that it can somewhat protrude out of the skin so that you can see where the device is. Uh, a smaller person would be more apt to see that device. Now, another piece of that question that you're talking about, can I see it? Based on physician preference, some physicians place them in different areas of the body. From our institution, most people in the world are right-handed and there's special functions of these devices. We place ours all in the lower right quadrant of the abdomen if we can. There's always going to be times where they have uh, you know, some other tubes coming out or uh, some other reason that they cannot have theirs placed there. You can place it also on the left side, but we try and stay away from the major organs that are on the left side and place it on the right side. Some folks don't want to have other people know that they have these devices and would prefer it placed more towards the top side of their buttock. That is also a fine place to put it. I would caution uh, what we've seen clinically, some people have a hard time giving themselves extra boluses because they can't quite reach around or find where the device is in order to connect to it. But you would also get used to that. It is all based on a physician preference. You do not see the catheter or the device itself. It is all tunneled right under the skin, not under the muscle. It just sits right on top of the muscle. Super helpful. Thank you. I always... Sometimes I say to myself, I, I, I can't tell if this person's on it or not. So I imagine it would be interesting to see something kind of protruding. 
I also think we don't do a very good job of, in general, across the country, people that have these particular devices, it is a medication. To have that put on a patient's MAR or home med list is imperative. At our facility, every single one of our patients that we service, which we service just a hair over 200 pumps right now, all of those medications are put onto the patient's med list so that if they come into your facility, you would know that they are on an intrathecal drug delivery device. That's a huge thing because that's what we were having trouble with. Um, most of our pumps are placed, if they're placed, we don't place very many anymore, but if they're placed, it's just in like an off note, never translates. So we're working to improve that process. And I think that was a significant hurdle here when we first started our uh, clinic and taking over managing these intrathecal pumps previously, we had no clue. You'd have somebody come in and and that's not typically one of the questions that are asked on admission into a hospital. Hey, are you on any kind of device that delivers medications? It doesn't come out that way. They're like, you know, some people forget they have them. It's just very interesting, the things that you don't think of. You're right. And so we've now started asking everybody on admission, just that. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, You know, admit to it or realize that that's what we're asking about, but we're trying. I mean, same thing with insulin pumps, like you, you, you kind of, or, you know, an ambulatory pump of some sort, you know, that's delivering medication. I think we don't, or we haven't traditionally in the past asked it straight out that way that people would understand. You're right. So, yay, we're making moves. <laughs> All right. So tell me, since this is medications that we're talking about, what medications are actually utilized in this intrathecal delivery route? A multitude of medications are utilized. There are only three FDA-approved medications to be in the pump at this time. Baclofen, morphine, and ziconotide. Those are the medications that have been tested significantly. They've been, uh, you know, again, approved by the FDA. They're kind of our tied and true. We know about them. We know the ins and outs of them. However, there are many other medications that are utilized in the pump for specific needs. That is a facility preference. You still can see a a minor amount of side effects from certain medications, even though we are targeting them, the receptors or the mu receptors right at the dorsal horn by by delivering the medication right into the CSF, uh, you still can see a couple side effects. And therefore, people will often use hydromorphone as an alternative opioid. They will use fentanyl as an alternative opioid. Um, We have seen clonidine put into the intrathecal pumps. There are some people that will use things such as droperidol and other options very short term because of the properties of the drug. We do not do that at our um, facility. Again, we stick to with what is FDA approved as our first line agents, but the property of the drug is very imperative when you're looking at the use of medications within ITDD. We know morphine is a medication that tends to go along with side effects that aren't always pleasant, right? The hypotensions that happen, the constipation, the altered mental status, urinary retention, the itching, those are all humongous things that I think of when somebody's taking systemic morphine. When you utilize the morphine through the intrathecal catheter and do it as a targeted drug delivery, we actually have only experienced urinary retention and itching as the two that we typically tend to still see. Your body will develop a tolerance to those. Those can improve. So it's not like you have to take the medication out. 
Um, as with the morphine in itself, placement of the catheter is very important because when we were when we're delivering such a minute amount of fluid into the space, we have to think about the pharmacokinetics of the drug and the property of the drug and how far that we will spread within the CSF. Given that morphine is very hydrophilic, we have a nice five-level-ish spread within the intrathecal space as in a five-level spread through the spine um, in hopes that we can catch a lot more pain within that five-level as we're um, hitting those receptors. Diconotide, uh, calcium channel blocker, we do not particularly use that medication here at our facility, but it is an interesting medication, and I do think it provides some excellent pain relief for patients. I think when you talk about ziconotide in and itself, given that it's a calcium channel blocker and not a mu receptor agonist, I think people all uh, tend to have, lean towards this medication to prevent opioid-induced respiratory depression. That's, that's the beauty of the drug when it was made. Uh, the fact that it was driven from a cone snail venom is very interesting to me and in how we came about with this particular medication. Insurance companies don't typically tend to love to cover this particular medication. So at our facility, unfortunately, and we aren't able to jump through the hoops that we were hoping for for our patient population uh, rurally here. Baclofen also uh, is such a cool drug when we utilize it through the systems of intrathecal pumps in that we use just a small amount and patients can have a whole new life with their spasticity. But multiple multitude of medications are used. They can be used in combination. At our facility, we like to utilize a local anesthetic such as bupivacaine with our oral or with our opioid medication in hopes to somewhat opioid spare and cause early pain relief in utilizing the uh, sodium channel blockade. Fascinating. Looping back in my brain to because these medications that we're talking about are especially the two that you, you use more often are baclofen, morphine, opioids. Like if we don't know the patients are taking these medications, just how risky it can be um, if somebody were to run out of this medication or to not have it continued appropriately while, you know, under our care in any capacity. So I feel like even more reason to know what's going on because uh, the risks of not having it continued are pretty significant. Extremely significant. And then truly, you don't want these pumps to run dry. There's not only the chance of withdrawal from them, there's, you know, bigger adverse events, especially high dose baclofen. I mean, my goodness, we don't want these people to seize and die. The other piece of that is, is when it pumps, specifically Medtronic's version, that's the, the, the one peristaltic lithium titanium ion battery that we service, that one is designed to last for seven years. However, things can happen. So if that were to run dry or have some sort of malfunction, that pump will stop working. It is very, very rare that you would see that. But if you have a pump stall or stop working, you're right. We're in a world of hurt if we don't know what medication is in these patients' pump. And I can guarantee you only about 50% of their patients actually know what is in their pump. They know they have one, they know it's medication that gives it to them, but they don't typically tend to pay attention to which medications are in it. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I get it because they're not taking it, right? They're not filling mm-hmm. it themselves, but that, yeah, it's such an important piece of information. So however we can educate our patients as much as possible, it sounds like that's a big part of this whole thing. It seems like you guys are providing a pretty significant part of that service. 
as far as you know, the medications being used, we talked a little bit about some of the risks. What are the advantages? Like, I think you alluded to them a little bit, but maybe more specifically, like, what's the advantage of this over some other options? I think with everything, medications, pill, IV, epidural, intrathecal, there's always advantages and disadvantages. As this question has come up multiple times in multiple different uh, education pieces, I sit back and I think, really, what are the advantages of using ITBB? In my world, in what we practice mostly is the advantages here and what we're seeing is our cancer population. I mean, refractory pain is an amazing population that we don't go after it enough, in my opinion. And I think for them, it's a significant advantage because they have tried everything for their pain and it has not been beneficial. So if we can target those specific receptors and give something intrathecally to them, we have had a significant success. So anybody, you know, having, having ITD for somebody with refractory pain is just, it's, it's such a, a crazy change to see them come into our clinic pre-implant and post-implant of targeted drug delivery. I think for people that to spin off of that with refractory cancer pain, and then you take somebody that has a history of diversion or uh, substance abuse, I think this is an excellent, excellent option for those patients and in, in, in being advantageous that we're getting them medication to the site where they needs to be um, and not worrying as much about, you know, some of the other things that they've done in or in their mind to control their pain. Doing ITDD realistically decreases your side effects drastically. We know that systemic opioids cause significant side effects. We are at super high risk for opioid-induced respiratory depression. It's what everybody's afraid of, overdosing. We have not seen with targeted drug delivery that that being a significant piece of the puzzle. So that is the probably biggest advantage in my mind is that we are preventing significant unwarranted side effects. Again, just to, there's hopeful that there's less diversion that happens when we are utilizing these devices. Um, We're the ones that are filling them. We're the ones that are managing them. We do not have a bunch of pills or IV or whatnot or patches in somebody else's hands that they either don't know how to do it or go overboard. And I just think too, for some people that are on a multitude of medications, pill burden is huge. To take that piece out of the puzzle and give them a device that's just with them and continually delivering medication is is amazing. I hear you. So you actually kind of read my mind because I was going to ask part of potentially thinking about advantage versus disadvantage is about the risk of, you know, substance use disorders and the risk of respiratory depression. Um, And I think that, I guess, so along those lines, you know, the, you are walking around with a vial, a very concentrated opioid in your body. So there's the risk of diversion is still pretty minimal. It sounds like. It is, but it's still there. And have we seen smart people access their pump? Absolutely. It is not out of the question, but we're hopeful that it is, it's a lot of work to do it. It's a high risk to do it. If you're not doing it under a sterile environment, we have obviously the risk of infection. Um, But I think people are less apt to figure that piece out when we have it just already filled for them. But you're absolutely right. That is a significant amount of drug in a tiny little reservoir that could be very lethal. So that's going to make me kind of jump ahead in my thought process here as far as patient populations you might think about. You mentioned cancer, um, which I agree 
I've seen that having done palliative care for a long time, the suffering and the refractory pain and feeling like we've done everything and what else can I do? Um, I know there's some limitations around, you know, which cancer patients may qualify, but also um, as far as like other things that you think about this, which patient populations would you also, uh, as you think about the answer to which patient populations would be candidate for this therapy, do you screen for any type of risk of substance use disorder or misuse too? So that's mostly my personal question. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I'll tell you what, if we had the magic ticket to which patients would be a candidate for ITDD, I'd be rich and I wouldn't have to work anymore. It'd be awesome. We do have some criteria that we like to um, evaluate on patients to see like who, like, wait, uh, you have someone coming into your practice and they're having terrible pain. How do you know? Maybe they are a candidate. Maybe they aren't. What do we look for? There's a lot of pieces that go into it as in any clinical scenario. We have to remember that these targeted drug deliveries based on the medications that we can use, there's a multitude of patient populations that would be candidates. Uh, spasticity, I'm going to start with that one because it's a little bit less well-known. Anybody with MS or CP or even quadriplegic or paraplegics that are highly spastic from their injury, their uh, spinal cord injury, we think baclofen pumps are amazing. Those patients continually escalate their dose of oral antispasmodics and often do a plethora of antispasmodics, which we all know can cause CNS side effects. So the use of baclofen in our targeted drug delivery has been a game changer for a majority of these people. Our facility, like I said, we, we service a little over 200 pumps. About 50 of our pumps are spasticity. They're baclofen only. So when you have those particular patients that continue to be spastic and continue to have tightness and, and their tone is just unreal, they come to us and do an intrathecal baclofen trial and um, see if maybe they would be a candidate for uh, targeted drug delivery because they've maxed out everything else and they're starting to see the side effects of the CNS effects of muscle relaxants. Another patient population that we just briefly hit on again was the cancer patients and refractory cancer. There are some caveats to those patients. We know that they're not all generally well and healthy. We have to make sure their numbers are appropriate. Their white blood cells are enough for them to recover from an hour and a half to two hour surgery. It's a very minimally invasive surgery, but it's still a procedure and we have to make sure that they're able to heal from it. So those refractory cancer pain patients are significant piece of why targeted drug delivery was developed because of that refractory pain that happens. We know that when you get to a stage four diagnosis of cancer, that you have the potential for metastases and to continue having escalating pain throughout the rest of your cancer journey. The hardest part in what we've seen is actually getting the patients to us soon enough to benefit them from the pump. Um, we're a very rural community. We service five states here. You know, it's some places are a couple hours, two to five hours to drive to us. We are one of the only, one of two people in South Dakota that actually manage intrathecal pumps. And we understand the driving. You know, you have to have a refill every three to four months of your pump. You have to have a replacement every seven to 10 years of your pump. There's lots of things that go into it. And when we're, we're looking at those candidates, we're looking to see is can they go through a procedure and have this pump placed? Can they manage this pump or do they have somebody that can help them? When we use our intrathecal pumps, not only are you getting a constant rate of medication, we also allow you to have the ability to give your, yourself extra boluses, much like a PCA. 
but it's off the intrathecal pump. So you can give yourself boluses throughout the day when you're when you're doing more activity and you tend to have more pain. So there is a little bit of um, a knowledge base that takes place when you're utilizing these pumps. So a candidate would have to understand what the pump is, why we're doing it, and be able to go through the procedure and recover from it. Um, there's some really excellent data out there that talks about the cost effectiveness of intrathecal pumps in the world of cancer patients. Back in the day when we were first starting these, these pumps have been around since 1980s. They were perfected in the early 90s and have only gotten better with the use of these extra bolus modes and targeted personal therapy managers that give you extra boluses. But we need to make sure that these patients can run them. And the data has shown that if you had three months or more to live, you definitely met criteria that it would pay itself off. Well, taking a step back, and as we go further in our clinical endeavors in the world of pain management and cancer, sometimes quality is much more important than quantity. So we do utilize these these pumps for a plethora of reasons. Sometimes people go right into hospice when we do put them in, but it provides them a clearer mindset in order to interact with family and friends before they get to the point where um, they are no longer alive. And we want them to be able to have that firing on all cylinders and talking to their family and have that great quality time left before it's it's their turn. And on the flip side of that, the chronic pain patients that we put intrathecal pumps in, this is a big deal. When you put an intrathecal pump into a chronic pain patient, I'm not trying to be crude or crass, but you technically own that patient. There are very few physicians within the country that like to manage intrathecal targeted drug delivery for chronic pain patients. You have to have the philosophy that this is it. We have, this is the best pain medication delivery we can give you. And they have to buy into that. So chronic pain patients, I believe are a little more difficult, but I think it does serve its purpose in that patient population in the fact that you don't want to take pills for the rest of your life. I think that we can limit some of that pill burden, get their life back, but that has to be one of the main goals is that we're trying to get your life back. We're trying to get you back to functioning, doing your quality, your activities of daily living, and to give you a better quality of life, not necessarily take your pain away. Like we know we can't on anybody, but the whole ultimate goal that they must realize is that we have to get your pain controlled enough to be able to do the activities of daily living. Those are really excellent points. I think I've actually thought or seen application of those along the way, the prognostication. You know, I think a lot of times by the time a patient with cancer has refractory pain, they are maybe closer to the end of life. And so that ends up becoming a little bit more of a challenge or the pain is so severe. Like you said, they can't get to where they need to go to get the pump placed. We don't regularly place pumps like these in the hospital, although it's possible, uh, it's very challenging to make it happen. Um, maybe that's not even the right person to have it placed in based on you know how sick they are. So anyway, I think there's a lot of a lot of those challenges that kind of randomly come up along the way and you sort of like pseudo become an expert by trial by fire. You know, I think it's it's so great you're sharing your incredible wealth of knowledge with us here. And just one final kind of wrap up type of question for now, at least, because clearly there's a lot more to learn. Any other disadvantages you see to using intrathecal drug delivery? Or I mean, I know we've hit on a few of the highlights here, but is there anything else you want to point out before we start to wrap up our conversation? The more I learn about these, the more we take care of these patients and understand how amazing these this technology is. And I think, again, if we can spread the word out there that these are 
a fantastic option in the right patient. Uh, Hey, we put it in the wrong patient. I mean, we've been there. I really truly believe there still are risks that go along with utilizing these, these devices. And I think every, anything good comes with risks. The biggest risk I would say, or the disadvantage of using ITD is the risk of infection. Again, choosing your patient wisely, uh, you know, can they recover from this procedure? We've seen, you know, uh, incision infections. We've seen uh, bacterial meningitis can happen. That is a foreign device that is going into your spine, into your body. Your body's response is to fight that and say, what the heck is this? We do a lot of preventative measures, but I, I really truly think in the world of disadvantages, it's it's the risks that happen. The other big thing is, is I, I kind of alluded to this before, the disadvantages, you, you have to take care of yourself and your pump. Now you have to be reliable that you have to make your appointments for refills. You know, um, the data supports every three months for anything that has opioid in it and six months for baclofen. So you have to be cognizant of you can't run out of that drug. And the longer it sits in that little uh, reservoir, it can form crystals. So uh, higher concentrations of uh, some of these medications that we have compounded can cause granulomas. That's a huge risk. If you get really high on your concentrations, it can develop at the end of your catheter tip, a granuloma, and that can break off and cause serious you know, paralyzation. It can cause lots of different things to happen. And I think we, again, briefly touched base on the failure of the device. Everything has its time and place and and how long it lasts. Withdrawal happens. You better darn well be prepared for that. Fractures can happen in the catheter. They can kink. Uh, Pumps can flip in the pocket and cause the catheters to either pull out or kink or break. We see at that point, you can have uh, spinal headaches because the CSF can come back from uh, where that catheter was tugged out. Uh, We can see drug being delivered right into the pocket of the pump, and it causes what looks like a seroma or a big old fluid pocket around the pump, whether it's your incision or your actual pump, they kind of track together. It's usually a 1%, maybe 2% risk that these things happen, but we do everything to prevent those risks from happening as well and working closely with the patients. But it's, it's definitely the knowledge behind knowing what is happening and making the decision that's right for you. There's always going to be disadvantages. Yeah. And it sounds like it's a small percentage of people, but when it happens, I imagine there's an emergency preparedness type. Of- <laughs> it, is a, it is a big deal. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, they know who to call and they have uh, a process, I would think, to at least start to get this addressed, um, hopefully quickly. Absolutely. It's, it's, we don't take those things for granted. Um, you know, again, these spinal headaches, those are a big deal. And, and it, you know, every setback happens for a reason, but you just have to be prepared. And, and truly, they are a, a wonderful device and a great opportunity for people that haven't been able to have their pain well managed um, or have significant side effects to opioids and aren't able to get to a point and tolerate it. Well, this is great. This has been highly informational. And so I just want to really thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and and teaching us more about intrathecal targeted drug delivery, which many of us kind of sort of know about, but definitely not uh, a wealth of information like you have. So that's all the time we have today. I want to thank you, Nikki, for a great topic and a really interesting discussion. For our ASHP members, you can find additional resources and earn free continuing education by visiting elearning.ashp.org front slash podcast. Please note 
that credit for this podcast expires two years after the date this podcast is published. Finally, if you haven't before, I encourage you all to check the member exclusive offerings on the ASHP website, including resources centers for ambulatory care, critical care, nutrition support, opioid management, infectious diseases, and more. Other offerings include the Credentialing and Privileging Resource Center, the Preceptor Toolkit, and forums such as the ASHP Connect communities, where you can exchange ideas and post questions with your peers. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to ASHP Official through your favorite podcast provider, and see you next time. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.